You're a funny guy, Sally. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. What do you want to tell me now, tough guy? I said, Bing, what are you doing here? I thought I'd tell you to go fuck your mother. <laughs> you don't trust me at all, do you? I tell you what, you make it through tomorrow without killing anybody, then I'll start trusting you. Fair enough. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you. You did. I lied. Kill you last is back. I'm Peter Garacci. I'm Alex Pashera. We got Lewis Kent in studio. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Peter. Hi, How you doing? Alex. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm excited because uh, it's not every day that Alex goes, uh, somebody wants to do the podcast and they want to do a movie and I go, oh, I just watched that. And that's what happened with this one. We're going to do The Shining today. Literally just refreshed myself, watched it right before I got here. I just um, wanted to watch it. I have it on DVD, which is a, I highly recommend. Me too. And uh, I was like, oh, let me just watch The Shining. And then... Uh, the- I downloaded it off the internet. They have a 4K... I was telling Lewis, they have a 4K version uh, that's a 20 gig file. But I didn't go for it because I wanted to watch it like immediately as I downloaded it. So I just settled for the 1080p Blu-ray. But if you download it on the internet, commentary. you don't get to watch Vivian Kubrick's documentary about making the movie right Oh, afterwards. yeah, but you could download yeah. that. You could find that. Well, it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, Kubrick movies are all... Beautiful looking. So I imagine even with the newer technology, they're even more, oh, more beautiful. gorgeous. It's I've never unreal. seen any of them. In the, uh, is that, no, that's not true. I saw Eyes Wide Shut in the theater when it came out. Um, but yeah, I would imagine even in the theater, this would be amazing. Yeah. I, I was just born too late for all of it. So. Yeah. So, I mean, because you're, you're a youngin. So this, well, this is a movie that transcends. This is, there's movies where people are like, oh my God, you're watching an old movie. And I'm like, oh, 1994 is old? And then there are other movies that it doesn't matter when they came. No one ever says like, oh, I'm not going to watch The Godfather. That's an old movie. And this is one of those movies that people will watch forever. And no one will say, oh, my God, that movie came out in 1980. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think it's also very just subjective because you can watch a movie. Like some people don't even realize how old certain movies are. Like E.T. came out in the 80s and nobody's like, oh, my God, that's so old. You know, I guess because it came back out in like 2002. but. Um, so I don't know this movie. I, I guess I grew up on a lot of older movies anyway. My parents are a little older than most parents. So I just watched a lot of the older things anyway. And I got, became a huge fan of them. I've been in your apartment and, uh, you have a lot of books and a lot of movies, which I like about a person. Cause I, cause <laughs> I way more movies than books. But. I, I, the first thing I do when I go to someone's apartment is look at what books and movies that they own. And I remember you having a lot, just like a lot of even books that I'd never heard of, which is, I think it's cool. I think that's awesome that. That uh, I'm looking you, around my apartment. I don't think I have a single book or movie. Yeah, what's going on? In, in view, I all of my movies are on the computer. But you're smart. You're you're a well-read guy. Yeah, you, I am. Do you not own books? I am learned. Do you own books? Do I own books? I mean, per se, uh, there. Yeah, no, but I I used to as a child. My mom probably still has them at her place. Oh, okay. I mean, there's books somewhere. Yeah, there are books that I've read, of course. No, I know, but I'm saying like Vonnegut fan. No, because you're 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 a yeah, but I get I, I lend them when I finish a book, I'll get, I'll pass a book. Oh, on. you don't want see? I like having books. I, I like giving them to people because I like going. You should read this book. Like I have books. I own books that I haven't Sorry. read yet. I I have three bookshelves in my one bedroom apartment. I think I have full like of books. Separation anxiety. If I give away a DVD, like I, I'm afraid. Oh, I feel like, like that's different. Never again. Never again. Like, I've been burned so many times. I've um, given away 
Game Boy games and never gotten them back. So now, like no, DVDs, I, like I can't give them away. Well, with I, the book, I, or just I let them anybody borrow them. With the book, I I don't. When I say give away, I don't even mean borrow. So I don't expect them back or anything. I mean like you're done with the book and you think that some you know someone that you know is gonna like it and you just go you uh, you should have this book. Gotcha. Have you never done that. It's a real good move I, with a girl. I, I it's know. embarrassing. They have sex with you sometimes it, after you do that. <laughs> It's embarrassing to admit I don't read as much as I should, especially being a filmmaker myself. But yes, we should get into that. I mean, you are a filmmaker. Yeah, we should talk about that and talk about your history with this movie because this is—I mean, this is a great like. Uh, if I was a filmmaker, I'd be really into right. This, of course, this movie it makes too. sense that you want to do this movie. There's a lot to steal and learn from this movie. So for me, I always have looked at Kubrick as like a filmmaker's filmmaker. Yeah. Um, like you said, you've been to my house. I do have. I do have all of his movies. Uh, I still haven't even watched them all, and it's not that hard because there's only 13 of them. But I think actually looking back, the first movie I ever watched of his was The Shining. Yeah. Um, and then I've I watched like Full Metal Jacket. I have, I've seen Eyes Wide Shut and Clockwork Orange, you know, all the classics. In film school, we watched The Killing, which was like one of his first like Love it. really good movie. Yeah, because it's true. The first two are garbage. Fear and Desire is – Absolutely garbage. I watched it recently. It's finally available on stream. He he wanted it never to be released because he knew. And I got it on DVD. And uh, it was it (laughs) was. So he knew it was bad. Yeah. Okay. It's uh. So do you want to tell the Kubrick story? Should I? I love I love talking about Kubrick. Well, the thing is though, is he hates he hates all of his movies. You know, like let let, let Lewis tell it. I mean, it's it's I'll fill in because you'll fucking talk about it. Well, fear and and desire. I mean, right before that, he had just made like like a documentary. No, start at the beginning of Kubrick's life. Okay. Well, um, I forget. I think he was born in New York, correct? From the Bronx. Um, the Son Bronx. of a doctor. And, um, I mean, early on, he was playing chess, and he got a, he was a photographer. And Washington like, Square Park, he was a chess hustler for and, money. And he would, like, play quarter games, and then and then he would just make money that way. And then he became a photographer, like, at the age of, like, 15. Mm, like, it was 17, 17 when he was getting stuff in a magazine. Yeah. But, like, he was always a photographer. And then going forward with that, he eventually broke into, like, moving picture. He made that boxing documentary, that, mm-hmm. like, three-minute boxing documentary. He made another documentary on the uh, on the Navy. Mm, um, it's possible. I don't remember that. It one. was like it, it's totally obscure. You will only see it on the DVD for like Fear and Desire. Um, and he has another one, I think, that just never made it to release anywhere. And then Fear and Desire eventually. I forget exactly the whole story behind how he made it, but again, it was just very little money. You know, they they picked a spot where you can look in any direction it'll be a little different and i mean they used <laughs> since they only had so many actors that's what threw me off is that they had actors playing the same people throughout the movie like other people um and then he made uh not what was uh, the next one killer's kiss yes and i actually have not seen that one yet but i know it was not that great either um, garbage and then he made the killing masterpiece which was brilliant and and he finally was like now a filmmaker, you know, and then now and then he made Pads of Glory, and then you have right after Doctor that was Strange Doctor Love. Strange Love, and then Lolita, and then you have you can go forward, you know. It's like yeah, um, <laughs> one of my favorite figures in the movies, one of my favorite artists. Period. Not necessarily a guy I even like like, and sometimes I don't. Do you mean as a person or as a I filmmaker? Don't, I don't like he. There's a there's a well I mean we, we gotta get there's a great document no that's not true there's not a great documentary because the documentary is mediocre there's a lot of great YouTube videos 
about Kubrick. Yes. You can you can lose a weekend, which I have. Uh, deep diving uh, on YouTube conspiracy videos about Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. So, and there's a Chuck Klosterman who's one of my favorite writers who I talk about on here. He's like a pop culture kind of writer. And I heard him, he, I might have heard him in an interview saying this. It, Kubrick is a very easy person to go down this rabbit hole with because there's all this mystery around him. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, it's like Stanley, it's, it, you would never believe that Steven Spielberg like faked the lunar landing yeah. because he's too much in the public eye and he's too accessible. But Kubrick, Kubrick is this mysterious figure that you'll almost believe anything that you hear about him. You know why I don't think he faked the moon landing though? Because I think right about then was already when he was living in London and he wouldn't leave. Yeah, I mean, they, they, well, they, did, they did it in studio. Um, so he, so Kubrick. There's a, there's actually a great. Uh, speaking of YouTube, there's a great interview of Kubrick around like '68, which is really early in his career. That was uploaded to YouTube. It's just audio, and so he's only a couple movies into his career, and he talks about his early life. So he basically could not get into college. He had such low grades that he was not even allowed to get into college. He didn't care about school. Yeah. So he became a chess hustler and a photographer, and. Back then, they, you know, when you went to the movies, you saw your news at the beginning of the movie in a newsreel. So what he figured was, oh, I could figure out how to make a newsreel and maybe make money. I, I love when, when people romanticize art and then you talk to real artists and all they really care about is making money. So he was like, oh, I can figure out how to do this at a profit. So he figured out how to make newsreels. And then he's like, oh, I can figure out how to make movies at a profit too. So they really just kind of by the skin of their teeth, him, I forget who his partner's name was. But they cre- they did um, Fear and Desire like in the woods. Uh, the only claim to fame of it is that Paul Mazursky, who went on to be a writer and director, is one of the actors in the movie. It's horrendous. But again, I-, I love to see where an artist starts with crap and then literally in a couple of years makes amazing shit. I mean, that's pretty wild. How did he get – I mean, was he always good and he just didn't have the well, equipment? Well, he-, he had a great, eye. Like, he had a great eye. Yeah. Uh, he had to learn like story, and there's a, uh, again, there's a lot of his a lot of his movies are very simple, and because there it's a lot of beautiful imagery, and you know he uses classical music, which you could just you could just use, yeah. Um, and again, his movies are very easy to like assign meaning to because they're so simple and so a lot it's a lot of beautiful imagery so like what really like turned the corner for him was 2001 i mean and if you watch 2001 masterpiece but it's like it's really the the artistry is the balls to make that because really anybody i don't think it takes that much um let's think back to 1968 i don't know i'll put it to you this way though With, with kubrick's career i mean when you start off as a photographer there is this storytelling element of what's going on in this frame, but it, it's only lasting of what's in this moment. Yeah. You're watching a movie, two hours worth of story. You need to learn somehow to do that. And if you've never done it before, then you have a difficult time. I've seen a lot of filmmakers. They can very easily pick up a camera and be a photographer because they've already mastered composition. And now storytelling becomes a little more difficult in this condensed version. But it, I feel like it's much more difficult to go from photography into being a, fi- a director of a movie than it is to be a director of a movie going into photography. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, when, mo- when movies started, it was silent film, so it was people who understood, like, imagery and montage and music. Yes. And then as soon as you had sound, all of a sudden they're like, fuck. So what they did was they imported all of the writers from the East Coast, and so movies became very talkative and dialogue-driven. Uh, what Kubrick was kind of part of was a return to – like he understood like how you could manipulate an audience with imagery and music and dialogue almost being 
not that it's it's you still need dialogue, but you're not telling the story with dialogue. Right, right. This you're, is a great. Uh, the Shining is a great example. And the Shining of is that. a great example of that because, especially the beginning of it, it's like it's ominous, but all is happening is mundane shit. Nothing, nothing of note in the in the first act of the movie, really. Well, it's it's built. It's the, the imagery and the sound and all of that is sh- is sh- telling you a story, and then the actual words that are being said are. It's you know, pretty it's much, a whole different story. It's his, it's his uh, induction into being this this hotel watcher. You know, it's right? Just, it's, exactly. He's just getting the job description, and then beyond that, it's just oh, I made you breakfast this morning. You know, oh, well, Danny, you find you know, out like, like little sprinkles yeah. of like he used to be violent. He used, yeah, he maybe hurt. He maybe hurt the kid. No, he didn't. Maybe he's pulled. Well, he, he dislocated maybe, his shoulder. He, it was but. maybe his fault that he hurt the kid. <laughs> he was drunk and dislocated his shoulder. But but um, and then and then just like I love the like I don't is mundanity is that the word? Like I love the I think modernity. Is no, it, well, that's no. modern, modern. Damn it! The the, <laughs> the mundaneness of the job interview and the going to visit. Like, but but again, it opens with one of the most eerie. Most interesting opening shots in the history of the movies. A tracking shot of the car traveling through the mountains. Um, again, very like, – he just thought to do that. Right, because, I mean, nowadays you have drones. Obviously, yeah. that shot is done by amateurs. Well, he did it but, in I a mean, helicopter. He fucking got a helicopter. So what's interesting about Actually, Kubrick – I don't know if he was even in that helicopter because he hated flying. I'm sure yeah. he wasn't. Afraid of flying. So what's interesting about him is that – because I remember hearing an interview. People said um, – because again, like his career is part of the story. The fact that yeah. he made so few movies, the fact that there was like nine years in between movies and that that kind of stuff. And people said to him, like, "Don't you wish you made movies faster?" And he said, "Yes." He goes, "Well, how do you think your movie making compares to other people's?" He goes, "I don't know. I've never watched anyone else uh, make a movie." His whole thing was is problem solving, which he talks about that in an interview on YouTube. He just like he has if he has an idea for something, he figures out a way to solve that problem and i find that such a, such an interesting way to approach well, making films his biggest i mean part of that problem solving but his biggest motivation behind all these films too was always like all right people are making these sci-fi movies let me make my sci-fi movie the best sci-fi movie yeah. you know so he makes 2001 which arguably you know every one of his movies has this side of oh this is fantastic or i don't get it you know right and so then but then you you move forward the shining People are making The Exorcist, you know. People are making, and then so people are making horror movies. He's like, I got to make my horror movie now. So he specifically wanted to set out to make a horror movie. He started reading every book he could get his hands on, and The Shining was the only one he could actually even finish. He thought they were all so terrible that. And I, interestingly enough, I've uh, I've watched. I love a lot of Stephen King movies. I've never read a single Stephen King novel. The only Stephen King book I've read is On Writing, which is a great book actually. If you're an artist and you want to. Uh, a book about being a writer and being an artist. That's a great read. But yeah, he, Stephen King knows how to fucking concoct a tale. And it's ironic because he hated this movie. Yeah. So immediately, <laughs> King immediately disowns this movie, which, so, um, and I learned this. So this movie, uh, this book is the closest to Stephen King's, like personally, from what I understand, because Stephen King was a recovering alcoholic with a young family. So this movie, this, Really, this movie's about a recovering alcoholic who can't stand his fucking family, yeah. and so he's he was writing from that perspective. So, so Stephen King's beef with this movie is that Jack Nicholson, being Jack Nicholson, he wanted him to be like a square guy who then went crazy, and yeah. he felt like Nicholson was already oh, crazy, oh, already. <laughs> which, listen, I'm okay with it. 
Look, I mean, look, in the beginning of the movie, you see just in that car ride alone, this his contempt for his wife and oh, yeah. son almost. I mean, like, which was actually funny watching this this time. I obviously he obviously doesn't care too much about his family because he's wearing a seatbelt that neither his wife nor his son are. Oh, I never ah, noticed that before. And so like they go crashing any any moment he could go crash the car. They're flying through, on a you road know? that's on a cliff. <laughs> yeah, it's literally they're driving on a cliff. So I, yeah. I and obviously I think it was just a framing decision so they could have this kid be in like the shot with them. But it is interesting to watch that back in the seventies nobody's wearing a seatbelt. Nicholson's wearing a seatbelt. This kid's standing up in the back seat. Yeah, you know, I I I love Nicholson. This is after, after Chinatown is my favorite Nicholson performance because it's very un Jack Nicholson. It's very controlled. It's very it's actually a very quiet performance, but it shows him like being angry and being like fuck every like he's very like anti the system and he has to he kind of buckles under the system a little bit. And I think it's a brilliant performance. But then after that, this is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, he knocks it out of the park. Yeah. So that's why I, I get what Stephen King is saying about, you know, he wrote the book a certain way. But you got to it's you I it's, I guess it's hard for him to uh, detach his work from like another work, you know, derivative work. But Nicholson's performance just makes that OK. You this know is what I mean? Interesting thing about Stanley Kubrick is every time he makes a movie, it's usually off of a book or some other like work work. But it's only he buys the rights to it, and then he makes his own version exactly. of it. Exactly, and and yeah. that's and that's his point behind it, though, is that he just wants that he won't pretty much in his head. I won't get sued for copying this a little bit, and I'm going to make my own version of this. Right. And so, same thing with 2001. It was it was old sci-fi article stories, like in the newspaper. And yeah. he made a movie out of that, you know, and like I mean, he was working with the, the Arthur C. Clarke, yeah. and I mean, like, and they crafted this. But I also find it funny that he worked with Arthur C. Clarke for this, but for this, he didn't want Stephen King involved at all. Yeah, he yeah, finds yeah. this other writer who writes books, and then they write the screenplay. Well, maybe he saw, maybe he knew King would be like a perfectionist or or some you know want to retell the story, basically. Probably, yeah, because obviously he wanted that. So um, I, I think everyone's seen The Shining, but let's just like set up a little bit because you know there probably are some people listening that haven't watched it for some reason. Go, go watch The Shining, I think, obviously. Well, this is the movie that you see not knowing who Stanley Kubrick is. Right. Yes. Yeah. So this is like – and so this is a great intro to Stanley Kubrick because if Absolutely. this is the first Kubrick you see, you'll want to see – I don't know that anybody watching Lolita is like, I'm going to watch all of Stanley Kubrick's films no. now. Or I mean, even some of his movies are hard. You know, Clockwork Orange is like can be difficult. Yeah. parts of it. This is a movie where you watch it and you're like, oh wow, what? Who the fuck made this? I want to watch more of this. So, all right, with Kubrick. I mean, I, before we get back to sure. the, just in a second, like Kubrick, this is probably my favorite of his. Again, like I said, um, being a filmmaker, he is probably my largest inspiration in terms of just watching how he directs his movies, how he frames everything. Watching this again, I think everything was brilliant um, in terms of all of that. Um, and so you're right because me thinking that right away, I was like, I got to watch. All right. I know he did full metal jacket, you know? So now the next movie is full metal jacket, Yeah, you know? And then, so you're, you're absolutely right. You, you start with this and then you, you go down the pigeonhole. I don't, eyes wide shut. I don't think you would want to watch another Kubrick movie after that. Honestly, like I love eyes. Wide it's shut. It's a good actually. movie, but yeah. for me, like I, I, it ends and I'm like, well, there's still like this big question. And I think because there's a big, bigger question at the end of this movie than there is at the end of the shining, like I feel more resolute with this end of the shining than i do with eyes wide shut so they like eyes wide shut is a movie that 
it, it like it grows on you and it like lives with you. When I saw it, I was like, "What the fuck?" And then I was like, "The balls to make this yeah. movie." And then I'm like, "You go back and you just get more." Barry Lyndon is maybe my other favorite of his, and that's a movie too where you're like, it, "It just it just so layered," and you can watch it at the surface level and enjoy it, and then you can just watch it and notice the camera work, and then you just notice the the way he uses me. like. There's so many different ways. To watch the movie, he famously didn't really care about actors, and he like made them do a million takes. And The Shining, because we talk about this a lot, to like kind of <laughs> things have changed now. So the treatment of Shelley Duvall oh, on this movie is a yeah. big topic of discussion. I mean, it's an infamous sort so. of thing at this point. So I look, I studied like Meisner, which is one yeah. of when people say method acting, Meisner is one of the methods they're talking about. And so I think about this a lot because it kind of I I I learned a lot. It kind of fucked me up a little bit too. Like emo- I was very emotionally raw and in a bad place in my life when I did it, and it it I started out acting class being like very playful and very fun and very excited about being an actor, and I ended acting school f- being more of a disaster. <laughs> and I can't I can't help but think that maybe it was a bad time in my life to do it, or maybe I wasn't ready for it. Now ten years later, I'm like, oh, it, it kind of like lives on in you a little bit. So I so there's a lot of like. There's a lot of stuff that we consider great acting that when you find out how that performance was made, you're like, oh, that's fucking terrible. <laughs> like, so I, I look at Kubrick in general with his actors. He's the one that's using them most like a puppet over any other director. Yeah. You I know, mean, Hitchcock most, also famously kind of was, tortured his actors with yeah. birds and stuff. Uh, <laughs> live birds. Also, you know, also like, great movies. Um, but like, with I mean, you you think about like a, a director like Scorsese, he's very collaborative, very about improv within going on in the scenes. But then you have Stanley Kubrick, who knows exactly how to get his actors to do. I mean, I, I apparently with like Nicholson to get him also on edge, they only gave him cheese sandwiches for like two weeks. Yeah, and, I've heard and, about that. And, yep. and he hates cheese sandwiches. Oh, yeah. So so like to that get him, pissed like, him dis- off, disgruntled, and like I um, mean, but Nicholson look is somebody who could snap at any moment. Like he's somebody who like I like I heard stories about him. He would uh, one of his uh, riders was that he had to have the Lakers game televised wherever he was, and so you know they would you know if you wanted to fuck with him, you just didn't let him. Like I think I think Kubrick. Like like went long so that Nicholson couldn't watch the Laker game and he like f- flipped out like that's the kind of stuff that you it's it's kind of fun to know that to know what somebody's like pressure point yeah. is there and just be like a little bit of turning the screw but it's a thin line between that and actual psychological manipulation and which, destruction yeah. which well, is I mean, what happened well, with Shelley, Shelley Duvall he would literally tell people like in the the documentary with Vivian Kubrick that she did she he, you see him saying oh don't sympathize with Shelley. You know, don't, don't don't worry. And then, or he's yelling at her. You're wasting everybody's goddamn. We're killing yeah. ourselves. You know, he's always yelling at her for this performance. And and obviously, I mean, look, I'll, I'll I don't think Shelley Duvall is this fantastic actress. The only other movie no. I know her about is is from Popeye. Love you Popeye. Know? And like, but like, did she have this fantastic performance as Olive Oil? Probably not. You know, she like, did. She did that right after this movie. I mean, so she obviously must have been exhausted. But um, yeah. like, obviously, probably a lot of weight was taken off. But point is, the all right, so. So before this movie, I don't know what she would have done. I don't know what she was she in. She was in a bunch of Altman stuff in the 70s. So, but I mean, like, even in this movie, watching it, I mean, back in the 70s, acting was a little different anyway. But I think that he got the performance he wanted from her, you know, because obviously he wouldn't have settled for anything less. Yeah. But 
I also don't look at her as this fantastic actress, and I think he knew that already, so that's why he did what he had to do. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Here's what's really sly about this is that as an audience member, you're going I, you're sympathizing with Jack Nicholson wanting to kill her. And that's what's so diabolical. Ooh, are you? About, yes. I think I think you're you're like she's so fucking annoying. I just going back and rewatching it, the scene where like you first like where where Nicholson is first starting to turn a corner. So set up. He they're uh, they're they, they have to spend the winter in this hotel. Nicholson's character sees this as a great opportunity because he's a novelist. So he'll, all he's got to well, do well, is note this. So they're alone in this hotel. They're they're the caretakers for this hotel yeah, for, because for the hotel six is months. closed from uh, October to May. October to May, because which is a the, very long up, up in the uh, mountains of Colorado. Yes, yes, and it's. I mean, we don't really know this until later, but it's built on this Native American burial ground. Right. Yeah, and then remote as remote can be. Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Torrance, he's a writer. He was a teacher, but he was also an alcoholic. But now he hasn't had a drink in five months. Um, Which he, is not a lot of time when you're an alcoholic. Nope. No, but it's yeah. I mean, it's not a lot of time, and they, so not a lot. Of, not a lot of time when you're taking a drastic step in your life, yeah. like going to live alone in the mountains True. with your wife and your son. Right. And so, when in the scene where he's writing and she comes in and she's like, "Oh, can I read what you?" If you're if you're an artist, like if you're if your mom has ever asked you to tell her a joke, like it. it <laughs> If your girlfriend has ever critiqued your set minutes after you've gotten off stage, you understand how horrible it is when when you're trying to write something and somebody comes in and goes, "Oh, can I read? Can I read what you wrote?" So like that's that first scene where he Nicholson starts to go dark. You're like, if you look at it as an artist, you're like, "Oh yeah, like he has." I, I mean, yeah, don't kill her, but <laughs> but yeah, like you want it's it, there's there's a catharsis. And, and this, this you is understand. This is what's you great. Understand. This is what's great about Nicholson is that he's always the guy saying the thing that the polite person thinks that they wishes they could say, and so you want to lash. You want to be the person that just says, "Can you? I'm busy, and you're interrupting me." Like the, the way, just the way he does that whole scene. Again, if you just left it there, it would it would be hilarious. This movie would be a comedy <laughs> if you just took out 15 minutes of homicidal mania. No, it, no, it, the imagery, it, the fucking, right. uh, the the little boy gonna, seeing blood and yeah. all that. I mean, there's if a you, lot. If you, it's if a you lot take out all the color of the the color red in this movie, yeah, that's a comedy. But yeah, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you why I love that scene, and I, I don't know if they did this purpose, purposely, but I think they did. The first use of the word "fuck," the first swear they use oh, yeah. in the entire movie, it's powerful. Is, is when he says, "Can you leave me the fuck alone?" You know, like, that wasn't the exact line, but he's like. And and from then on, it sets this precedent of almost every time you see him with her, she's a, bothering him, and and he says fuck again. It's like when when she when she comes up and like this is way later in the movie, and you find out that like, there's this lady in this bathroom and everything in another room. She comes up to Jack right after he's been hallucinating, maybe, um, and and she says there's somebody in in one of the rooms, and he's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. <laughs> I'm old, I'm old enough to remember when people when like cursing was for emphasis and it was rare and now I feel like like everything else like there's so yeah. much vulgarity now that so again it, that's like a very specific choice in the movie to have it because that because she's so dainty and so frail that him just being saying fuck to her yeah. is is like is murder it's it's amazing because you're like I I also like to have to to be with somebody who you have to feel like you're on eggshells with. And they, it's interesting because they both are on eggshells with each other at the beginning of the movie. It's just that 
Jack snaps. And if you, we, we're going to go back and talk about like the the supernatural aspect of, of this course. story, which is set up early. But like, if you just have a recovering alcoholic and you just have the family, and you you could have a murder story without any of the supernatural yeah. elements, just of him snapping. I mean, I can also look at this as I don't even think that they they probably like got married because they had a kid. You know, I, you don't know That's much about the vibe. Their, you, you don't know much about their life like beyond. Yeah, before you also this. don't know if he's ever written anything. Yeah, before. you just he's he trying to be a writer. You he's know, just like, trying to be a writer, and, and That's so sort of, like the been vibe. there. I quit a job once because I was going to write a well, novel. Well, there's there's also like when R- when he starts no novel. <laughs> when he starts like snapping a little bit, he's talking about oh, what do you want me to do? Go go work at a gas station, a car wash, or anything like that. You know, like he can't go back to teaching apparently. Yeah, you maybe, know? maybe so, they won't have him back. So I mean, maybe he he fucked up there too. You know, and then just drinking. Too much on the job there. Too much uh, Irish coffee, you know. Um. Yeah. So, so it's to, to go, let's if we could go back because my yeah. my favorite thing in this movie is Scatman Crothers, <laughs> and I love me some Scatman. He was a good friend of Jack Nicholson's, so Nicholson Nicholson wanted him in the movie. Wanted him in the movie. He was uh, the voice of Metal Ark. Was it Lemon? Who was one of? I don't understand why this is so, but. So the, the Harlem Globetrotters had a cartoon version of themselves that which was in Scooby-Doo, amongst other things. So he was in the Scooby-Doo. So I immediately, as a kid, recognized the voice from him playing a Harlem Globetrotter in, in Scooby-Doo. So interesting. A kind of like a kind of character that you don't see in the movies anymore, which is such a, it's such a banal thing to say, but it's so true. Um, I don't maybe movie stars don't hang out with guys like this anymore, and maybe that's the problem. Like if I, I can't imagine a Leonardo DiCaprio, like Leonardo DiCaprio's like ugliest friend is still a, a movie actor. You know what it is? Is he looks like a real person? Yeah, and he's got that great voice. And so at the beginning of the movie, he's the like I guess the head chef of the hotel. Yeah, and so he's sort of introducing them to the to the kitchen and everything. And you find out that he and Danny, who's the young boy, the son, have a have an interesting connection you find out that they have this ability to shine there they they call it the shining yeah and they start telepathically speaking and then the first sign of it is um when danny gets the passes out at home right right he has he has a vision of the of the elevator well he has a vision of the blood yes and and he also knows that that jack nicholson is about to call because the kid goes. The imaginary friend goes. He's about. They're like, "Do you think he got the job?" Tony, yeah. And Tony goes, "He's about to call and say he has the job." Not and then two, two seconds later, he calls and tells Shelley. And so, um, then they're they're speaking. They're giving a tour. Uh, Scatman Crothers. What's his character's name? Um, Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran. Yeah, he's giving a, a tour. He's giving a tour. Um, and he's uh, showing them the freezer. And at one point, he calls. The little kid Doc and uh, Shelley Duvall's character goes, "How did you know that we call him Doc? Like, how could you know?" Mm. And he makes up some lie. But then when he's alone with the kid, he goes, "Do you know how I know that people but call you Doc?" Even before that, though, there's this beautiful little shot where he's looking at the kid and he's like, "Do you want some ice cream?" Yeah, you know. But like without saying anything, yeah. it's all like the telepathic. He knew he link. wanted some ice cream because he wanted some ice cream. Yeah. So they sit down and have ice cream. Probably my favorite scene in the movie. One of my favorite scenes of all time because it's so hard to do um, this kind of uh, like explaining. Shit. Why can't I think of the word exposition? Exposition in a <laughs> We're movie. Both smarter than I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Exposition is a very hard thing to do, obviously, but to do like exposition of like. 
a supernatural gift that is a major element of the plot that also is the title of the movie is really hard to do. And that scene, it's so fucking good. I think it's really good because Scatman Crothers is really, really good in it. You know why I think it's perfect is because within a movie, when you're showing the audience anything, you kind of have to treat them like a child and explain the movie to them. Uh And so with this, it's literally somebody explaining to a child (laughs) what's going on. Right. In in a believable way, not in a transparent way. I I love that the kid... Wow, that's well said. I love the kid is just blankly staring. Yeah, he could be be shitting his pants in that moment, and it would be so perfect. His face is so fucking perfect. It's unbelievable I, how I, it is. So one of the – there's two things about this movie just to get a little sidetracked why I think – like who Stanley Kubrick owes this movie to. And that is Danny Lloyd who plays Danny yeah. Torrance because his performance as this little kid who probably never did anything before this, whenever you see him flip from Danny to Tony – it's I never not believed it. I yeah. ne- I yeah. you, you see an entire shift in who this person is. And and then you also hear this voice, this crazy voice he starts to Red do. Ram. And then I mean this is going a little further, but then I also think he owes it to Garrett Brown, who is the inventor of the Steadicam. Oh, for and sure. Who then for this movie invented another version of the Steadicam so that they can get all these low track. But we'll get back, we'll get yeah. to that later. Well, no, I mean, that, but, so I think I think Rocky was the first movie that the Steadicam um, was used in, or so there was movie? a documentary that was filmed before Rocky and a few other movies th- that year. But they all those other movies came out before this documentary. But it was invented for a documentary. And then these other movies got yeah. a hold of so it. So again, like this, and this is Kubrick, the problem solver. So you have this n- brand new tool, which is the Steadicam. And do you want to explain to to people what that is? I mean, <laughs> so a Steadicam. Why are you so mad at me? So I want to assume basic competence in our audience, but well, who knows? Well, right, well your co-host doesn't have basic <laughs> yeah. competence. I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. A Steadicam is um. You're like a guy, like a so tech guy. so. It's pretty much everybody's got a gimbal now. It's the original version of a gimbal. It's um. It took you the camera off of a tripod or a dolly, and you it made it so that somebody can walk around with it and give smooth motion. Even while walking over rocks and terrain and everything, and no matter what, it looks like there's no motion from the person. And that's obviously revolutionary. It in, came out in 1975, film. you know? I mean, so you'd think, all right, so the, the other pretty much 80 years before this, they didn't Movies have this, were, you know? The, the camera was either fixed or it was very or it was on a dolly track. Or they did have shoulder cameras. They did handheld cameras, but you weren't getting smooth motion out of that. Yeah. You were walking around with it. So then... 1975 comes, Garrett Brown invents the Steadicam and changes pretty much filmmaking forever after that because now everybody can walk around. You can make movies like Rocky or Raging Bull where you can get in the ring, walk around with this camera, and it'll feel like you're in this fight. So, And and Kubrick also, because he didn't know the rules, so he broke all the rules, like – Zoom in a movie is very it's very taboo, un- taboo but it can also, it's very specific and it could be it's very so again something I noticed this time around um, so Dick Halloran is one of the people who's leaving the hotel so he's gone I think he's in Miami yes and he's, <laughs> he's got this apartment with these yeah he's beautiful got naked oh my black God. women on the it's, walls it's like, like but but it, it's a it's a zoom so you see him on a bed watching TV. And he shines that he's got to go back to the Overlook. Well, what happens is, is I believe Danny shines him. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Is, That's what shine so, Danny right, shines be, him. So yeah, we got to be careful with this I'll, language. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. <laughs> who shined um, who? So I don't think it was a, a direct call. I think that people who shine 
they have a link to other people who shine. And he sent, yeah, he and, sends and it's it. the same thing. Like so that like um like uh, Dick Halloran is explaining in the beginning. Like people, there are places that shine. Right. So the Overlook Hotel shines. So I think both of them. That's why Danny slash Tony didn't want to go to the hotel in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. He didn't want to go because he already had this link to the hotel. Scatman Crothers, Dick Halloran has this link to the hotel. Now he has this link to Danny. So now he's got like a double antenna going out to him yeah. saying some shit's about to go down. And so the camera zooms out and you see him laying on a bed, beautiful black woman, First you topless. See his feet. You see, you his, see his feet, watching zoom out. TV. And then, and then the, a joke, like it cuts to the TV and there's another picture above the TV with another topless, beautiful black woman. And it's, fu- it's a funny moment, but like the zoom, it, it's so, again, it could have been... S- so badly done in the wrong hands and it's so fucking well done and so he so dick halloran decides he's got to go back to the overlook so where at what point do we spoil this because this to so, me is the most important I mean, moment don't in the you movie. guys spoil every part yeah. of a movie yes. you've already spoiled so, the whole movie anyway to so. me one of the most horrific deaths in all of the movies Ugh. is the death because because you want i i think what it is is you don't believe that uh, the mom and Danny and Shelley Duvall have a chance unless yeah. Dick Halloran is there to help them. So, so let's you, bring us up to everybody up to speed though, because yeah. like we skipped over. So pretty much all this other stuff. They're at the hotel, and now Jack Nicholson has been like going around the hotel and seeing things, but really, Danny, yeah, yeah. really, it's just the hotel showing him these things. Right. At first, Danny is the only one noticing it. But yeah. the, what's interesting about the Overlook is it starts to shine to even people who don't shine exactly. Which is well, interesting, and I think I think I have, there's an, some, I have, I have an a idea. thing too. Wait, oh, is that what that is? Yes, because oh, okay. Danny's noticing it right from the beginning, and that's why he sees the twins. He, and why sees, he sees everything the blood from yes. the elevator. But then, like even at the end of the movie, Shelley Duvall Shelley seeing other stuff shit. Too. So is that fucking Jacks? They're all seeing. So shit. wait, is that so? That's the hotel. It, I think so, so I have a grand theory. I have theory. a theory at you the end, a, for okay, the end of the movie. Is it ghosts? It's so again, bar- it's built on a Native American burial ground, so maybe it's ghosts, but at the same time though, I don't think that Danny Torrance is the result of a dead Native American. No. You know, so and I don't think Scotland Crothers, you know, is like the result of a dead Native American. Is, so is our are Jack Torrance's hallucinations I, they're not hallucinations. So he's but but it, but doesn't doesn't the movie show you that he's seeing something that's not really there? So, well, if we get to the end of the movie, because then there's like a whole thing that they show at the end, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, I mean, could, I mean, so again, at this point, fuck you. Go go watch right, the movie. So point is though is like he's seeing all these things, and then you get to the end of the movie, you realize that he has always been at the Overlook. He's been yeah. the, the caretaker always. So it's like he's this reincarnate every time or something like that. Yeah. Um. So the way I look at it is is that maybe. He is like a shiner without like knowing he's the shiner, you know, like because like <sighs> he I, I, or or if anything or if anything, the overlook shines through him. Yeah, and like he brings people to the overlook to try to kill them, right? So that they can the the, the hotel can like feed like or feed some way. The, the, the overlook you know? is definitely reaching out and getting more powerful yeah. throughout this movie. Jack Nicholson is not the villain here. It's the hotel, it's the hotel. is the villain, oh. and yes. Jack Nicholson is, under is just control. this either under this control or it's just like he's this he's a body yeah. that they're using. He's an avatar a host, almost a conduit. Yeah. yeah. 
And and so he's just doing what the ho- – because then when you get to these hallucinations – because you start off, he's in the bar that's supposed to be nobody there. All yep. of a sudden, there's a bartender. There was no liquor there. There's a full stack shelf And he knows liquor. the bartender's name. You know, he knows his name. And, like, then he's getting a drink. And he then knows his it. name, and he doesn't think it's weird that Lloyd. he knows his no, name. No, exactly. Another, that's another, how you know he's in a And trance. he doesn't even have any money, See, and then he lets him drink, you know? Could we, <laughs> could we establish a, a, a clear difference between the way ja- – uh, uh, Sorry, the boy. What's his name again? Danny. The way Danny shines and experiences the overlooks shine and the way that Jack experiences the overlook yeah. shine. So Danny experiences it as a supernatural. This shouldn't be happening. I'm scared. Yeah, he's uh, remember what the guy said? He, he, it can't hurt you. It turns out that it can. But but basically, he realizes it, it's, it's going on and it's not. it's like this supernatural thing. Jack immediately succumbs to as soon as it starts shining to him he's fine with it it's like he's in a dream it's like when you dream and you're in a dream and you accept everything he He accepts everything going back to the beginning like when when dick halloran's explaining to danny what's going on people can see the future and they can see the past as, as shiners so danny i think is seeing the future and the past when he's looking at these he's not seeing the present moment of what the hotel is showing him jack is showing the present He's yes. being seen the present or or his version of this present right because it probably has happened before to him, you know, yeah, but he is experiencing it. I think Danny sees visions, yeah, Jack has like hallucinations, like you say, but it's it's more of it's it's not just a hallucination, yeah, yeah, he's but 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 basically everything the hotel step by step gets him to kill his wife or wants him to kill his wife and his kid that's the hotel's plan i mean plan. he already wanted to anyway but. right well that's <laughs> right. so that's but, so so like so in a way i'm almost sympathetic to stephen king's beef because then what is where does alcoholism because i mean the story is clearly about how alcohol destroys a family and and and, and mm, i i mean i think it's a, i think it's that's a catalyst. part of it i think it's a ca- yeah. I, all right so again I, again, or just, or saying, disease or any kind of I'm self-destructive behavior or whatever, sure. addiction, whatever it is. Again, what I would say is more like theoretical, I guess, because nobody can say whether or not. Yeah. But I, the way I look at it is, is maybe then the alcoholism is, again, just another mode for this hotel to bring in this family to try to feed off this family. You know? Yeah. I think it's – maybe the book itself is more about alcoholism. Yeah, I don't is. think this movie is mainly because it's. I don't look at Jack as a suffering alcoholic. I look at, at him as a man who can't stand his wife, likes his kid because he has to, you know. But maybe he's he's suffering a little bit because the. But well, he's I, I, it's not too, cut out for a lot. So in so he's. I mean, there's like the scene where he doesn't get out of bed. Yeah, and he's just. I mean, he's like. There's a lot of. I don't. I don't know. There's a lot of like, and again, this is what's so amazing about this movie. We could spend an hour and a half and never talk about major plot points of, of this movie, which is unbelievable. <laughs> which um, we've already like. I don't think we have in any. But um, yeah, there's there's just like there's like the slow deterioration of the character, and then he snaps, and then he becomes a murder murderous maniac, and, there, and there's no. Once once he turns that corner, I don't even remember. Is there any moments where he's not like a hundred percent like on kill mode? So the big switch is when he goes back to the gold room, and now it's a full on not just bartender hallucination. There's a full on gala party going on, and then after he gets his drink, one of the waiters oh. spills that apricot juice on him or whatever. They go to the bathroom, and he's trying to clean it off of him. The the waiter's trying to clean it off yeah. Jack, and then they have this. 
mundane conversation when in the he, when red he, bathroom, which when, is incredible. When he recognizes his name, so in the very beginning of the movie, um, the owner or the manager of the hotel is explaining to Jack the job, and then he tells him that back in the day there was another uh, caretaker for the hotel. Um, Grady, something Grady, something Grady, Delbert Grady. Well, this is an interesting thing. They say it's two first names. So Jack is actually wrong. Jack makes the connection just like the audience would make the connection because they hear the last name. But it's actually a different first name who introduces himself to Jack. So one of them is Delbert and one of them is like. Charles. So then you're thinking, I think Charles Grady is the first guy. So you're okay. thinking, is it like again? Is it like a familiar? Is it a, a figment? Is he a version of him? Is yeah. it ancestral? So, but point, anyway, point is, so point that is person, they're, they're, Grady, that person is cleaning off Jack in this bathroom. Well, well, well that person. Sorry, at the beginning of the movie, it, oh, he, it, they he's explain. the one that. Yeah, he explains that he kills his entire family. He also slowly went nuts trying to watch this hotel. He axed his two daughters. They tell then, him. They tell Jack as a warning that this yes. has happened, and he killed his wife. Oh, then he blew, the and then he blew his brains out with a shotgun right yeah um and so you're he's meeting who he thinks might be this guy. exactly and or the well, ghost the, guy inter- the guy. ghost or whoever the waiter introduces himself as, as something grady and, and then, he goes wait i've heard that name exactly before. i know who you are and so then it kind of builds up where it you almost have this feeling of like maybe this ghost it, ghost if you want if you will is trying to hide his identity for a moment, but then he fully accepts, like, okay, no, you are, yeah. you have always, so he's saying, Jack thinks he was the old caretaker, while Grady is saying, no, Jack, you were always the caretaker. Yeah. And then from that moment forward, it's this dive back into, because what's weird, though, is that this guy does say, I killed my daughter. He, and right. my he wife. corrected them. He that's corrected what he his wife well, and his daughter. Well, yeah. And just the like twins, Jack right? has well, an a- that's what's interesting. I don't know if it's a mistake, but he does only say daughter. It's not a mistake. Exactly. Oh, he says daughter. This is a version of Grady, just like Jack is a version of the man in the photo exactly. at the end of the movie. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's a it's either it's either an ancestor or it is you, but it's just a different your, your iteration form that you're yes. seeing of you. And, yes, exactly. And so and then this point where he's saying, I corrected them, and then he fills in Jack saying Danny has tried has this ability to shine and is trying to contact um, Dick Halloran so that he can he's oh, yeah. trying sending for help. He uses so, a very uh, see that's what I'm saying. That's why I thought Danny was sending for help. And, but anyway, and right. then yeah. I think he, he, he also he uses a very that, hurtful word to describe. Yes, Dick Halloran, he, yes. We will now repeat her. And um, but I also think does he fill him in on the wife trying to use the the radio as well? Uh, and now I don't remember. They talk about it because then Jack Nicholson goes well. Jack Torrance and pulling out the wires he, of the uh, yeah he goes the fucks up the radio and the well you know what's crazy. Did he? You don't see him do that on camera, though. No, you hear about it afterwards. You know, like I, every, but, but again, like it's like a ghost stories, like a dream. It's like you you yeah. don't know where the beginning and the end is. And this yeah. movie has a lot of elements where you don't quite. And and I, and I think, I, again, I so they they made a documentary called Room Two Thirty Seven, which is about all the conspiracy theories about this this movie. Yeah. But, but they that documentary is really just rehashing all these YouTube videos that you can just yeah. watch. Right. And I think the YouTube videos are actually better. Better. But so there's a lot of a lot of theories about Kubrick. One is so Kubrick made Barry Lyndon, and at that time, like technology being what it was, it was you, it was very hard to shoot like natural light. Yes. So he has scenes in that movie that are just lit by candlelight, and he had special lenses actually borrowed, made. Well, he had them borrowed from NASA. NASA. So people go, well, why would NASA <laughs> loan Stanley Kubrick these lenses? And, so the yeah. theory is that he faked the lunar landing. 
And so then they loaned him the lenses. And then The Shining, again, this doesn't even make sense, but one of the theories is that he felt so guilty about this that he made The Shining as like a mea culpa for faking the lunar landing. And then he has Danny having like a NASA shirt. He does. He has a NASA shirt. And then the... And then the the pattern of the carpet's supposed to look like the uh, rocket taking off, which is off ridiculous. But it is. it's fun. It's this is fun. It is fun to, to go through. Again, that. this is a lot more fun that than a lot said, of other stuff. That but. being said, I do think that there's the movie alone is 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 captivating enough that you don't need to get into that or believe any of those theories to no, enjoy it, this it's just movie. A, it's just a fun. It's, it's like, got enough like weirdness about it. So is what one I'm of saying. my one of my things now is like like. I don't know why everybody has to have all of the right opinions. Yeah. You notice how like this, the culture now is like, God forbid you have a single – like what if you're a great person and you do everything right? Maybe you just kind of are a little bit into flat earth. Like people will attack you. Yeah. So it's like – it's funny to me that like I don't really care if Stanley Kubrick did – is any of this is true or if all of it's true. I don't care if Eyes Wide Shut is actually an expose about the pedophiles <laughs> who run Hollywood and they had him killed. You know, Which also, that actually might, and, and, it, and it involves. <laughs> and it involves you didn't Steve, even see the end of the. Like, and it the involves cut of the Steven movie. Spielberg, which I, I'm, I'm hearing stories. Too. It, fun, it's fun for me. This stuff, this stuff yeah. is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But you could also just enjoy. Epstein it. didn't kill himself. Yeah, well, clearly. It, it clearly Hillary said, "Pretty please, will you just kill yourself to make it easier for me to run again?" That's what and happened. And then he was like, "No," and then she choked him to death. No, right? He, That's what happened <laughs> with his own head. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. in I mean, Full Metal Jacket. Oh my God! Mm. She, he's like choked yourself when he. When, I haven't know, seen that movie in a very long time. Oh, never God, mind. So good. Uh, anyway, but yeah. So uh, again, you could just watch this movie as a Halloween movie. You can watch this movie as I want to see everything that Stanley Kubrick made. You, you can watch this movie as I want to see everything that Jack Nicholson made. Which Nicholson is one of those people that people don't realize how great he is anymore. Yeah, I would take Nicholson's seventies over any other actor's ten-year span. Ever like he he is a a monster actor, and he sort of became a caricature of himself. Even in the eighties, eighties by the eighties. What's funny about I mean, the this 80s, was the beginning of the eighties. So this he movie, you he know? wins so. his he wins his Oscar. He's nominated a bunch of other times. He kind when of when did Cuckoo's Nest come out? Seventy six or seventy seven. Okay, are that wasn't no. It might have been earlier than that. Let me. I got to think about I that. I thought for it second. was actually late sixties. It might be seventy. So seventy four oh, was. I was totally off. Seventy four was, was Chinatown. So it's either seventy fifth or seventy five or seventy six. Okay. So you want to say his peak ended at Joker, like like when he played Joker in Batman? I mean, like I mean, he's <laughs> I don't I hate the Departed, but he's great in the Departed. I never uh, saw as good as it gets. So I mean, he won an Oscar. Dude, for that, he's great so. in that. I I I love him in that movie. I don't know if he should have won the Oscar for it, but he I mean he's he's got three Oscars. He did terms. one of the only people to have three Oscars he's got, for acting. He's got an Oscar for Terms of Endearment, which I love because that's eighties. But by the eighties, Jack was like just on. He wasn't. He was enjoying life. Like he was. Yeah. He enjoyed being a movie star more than a lot of other people have known how to really be a movie star. So he would pop into a movie like Terms of Endearment and knock it out of the park and win a fucking Oscar for it. And he would do a, a weird like Stephen King horror movie and fucking. Give the performance of a lifetime in a movie that a lot of other people would have just thrown away. He has this one line in Vivian Kubrick's documentary about The Shining uh, where he was saying um, – so, and it just comes out of nowhere. He just says, the average celebrity in, meets, meets ten more, times more people in one year than the average person does in their entire life. And like he says it not in like a prideful way. It's like a burden. Just, but, like, but also in this sense of like I know it. 
you know, like like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is I think about like when wow, I when I when I uh, see a comedian like a famous comedian that I've met before and they don't remember who I am, I I try to think to myself like this guy is meeting people all of the time, and you just kind of have to get. I mean, celebrities are people want to meet them all of the time, and it can it can kind of fuck with you. A little bit, I think, for sure. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, like, why do you he, think there are so many celebrities? I mean, you look at talking about a joke. Walking Phoenix doesn't like interviews because he doesn't want to talk to anybody. You yeah, know, like yeah. he doesn't. He just wants to make his art and leave. You it's know, a like, weird. It's a weird obsession that we have as a culture where we want to know the lives of our the people who make the art. Yeah, and, I, mean, and, 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 I, I can get into a whole other conversation Kubrick, and, about and, and, my Kubrick, mom. And, and then Kubrick, <laughs> Kubrick too is like he he was. He had a fear of flying. He was kind of an agoraphobic. He like holed up in London, and he just like stayed. there's another there's a great documentary called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, and it's all about he was like a obsessive like note taker and file keeper. So he has he has all of the files of every movie that he made. He has all the notes of movies he didn't get to make, like Napoleon. He has <laughs> um, he has all of the the audition tapes. He has uh, like a file for the people who've sent him like stalker mail like people send him videos that like you it could be like a fan video but it also could be like a very stalkery like where you might be like afraid that this guy's sending you this shit mm. and he actually had he got to a point where he started having special boxes made to keep his stuff and there's a guy who's like his job is just like to maintain kubrick's boxes and so there's this great documentary all about it there's another um another hero of this movie is a guy named leon vitale so he was, if you ever seen Barry Lyndon, he's the stepson in Barry Lyndon. So the guy was like on the trajectory. He's a, he's a movie actor. He's starring in films. Kubrick hires him as his personal assistant. The guy never acts in a movie again. And he just becomes Kubrick's assistant. And there's a, there's a documentary that came out last year called Film Worker, all about this guy. He, Leon Vitale was uh, Jake Lloyd, the kid Danny's handler for the movie. Okay. So as badly as Shelley Duvall was treated... I don't think there's any argument that the kid was taken care of, like A plus plus protected. It goes like, even further than you might think because he didn't even get to see the he didn't see the final cut of the movie until he was 17 years old. So if you see some of this documentary footage, you see Leon Vitale like running with him and like like coaching him as they're as they're filming. Like he basically was there with him. See the, a blonde the whole, dude. Yeah. Okay. So now yeah, I know. Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's so basically he was there to like. As the kid's like personal like assistant and coach for the entire duration of the film. Well, Kubrick also, I mean, he didn't. So like, there's a scene when um, Danny just gets hurt by that woman in the room, and Shelley Duvall's holding him and everything. I love how we're calling. I'm calling them by their names in the movies, but it's the I same. We do that a lot. I never remember the character. I love that he, that well, Nick Jack is Jack in this movie. Yeah, it's per- and it's, it's Danny is Danny, and then Shelley is Wendy, and you know, yeah. like, you know, well, Wendy's a great name. I love the name Wendy. And it, but point is, so she's like carrying this kid, like carrying this kid because he was hurt. It was a dummy because they didn't like, like oh, this yeah. whole time. They thought so. Danny thought he was just making a dramatic film. He had no idea it was a horror movie, and to the extent of he wasn't allowed to even be on set for these horrific moments of the movie. So yeah. I'm, I don't know what this kid thought he was doing when he was running around in that maze, but 
I mean, so we finally got into the point where Dick Halloran gets killed, which <laughs> well, is well, we never actually did. But well, but so we built up to it. So yeah. he, which again, in the big, the big like treks the snow for like eight hours, like like yeah. from Denver Fla- to he flies all the way. F- well, he flies from Miami to yeah. Denver and yeah. then drives Finagle, in snow Finagle's for five a hours, five hours to Denver to no to Boulder to pick up a snowcat to then drive another in, a, in the middle of snowstorm exactly to drive God knows how long in the snowstorm. Gets Borrows it from uh, his friend and from Apollo Creed's yeah. trainer, uh, <laughs> Tony Burton. No, it is Tony Burton. Uh, who like, there's more. There's not as many black guys in the state of Colorado as there are black guys in this movie uh. in, in the state of Colorado. Um, but and and arrives at the hotel and immediately is murdered. Like it's it's so unexpected. Again, it's like what a like what a fuck you to the audience, like in, a, in the best possible way. Like you build all this up, he's got he like they need him, but he did save their life because he brought the snowcat. That's true. true. That is true, and it's horrifying. It's still it's upsetting to this day to even think about that. Um, I would spend two hours watching a movie of Dick Halloran. Yeah, I would like to I, do like. I want to know what dude does. You know what I mean? Like I, as the chef, knowing he's a shining instead of doing and like yeah. being in the overlook. Instead of what? Instead of whatever. Yeah, there's a whole story there. That instead should of, be what. Like, Doctor screw Doctor Sleep. Know, this should be. Say. There should be a prequel. Like, yeah. I want. I want a, I want a Dick <laughs> Halloran. Yeah, like, prequel. You could do so many. Like the previous Jack and the previous. He's an old guy. He he was. He's been at the Overlook for how? Well, long? We don't even know how old. You yeah, know? Like, they don't like, say because it says 1921 for that picture, but they don't. When was which the, is like 59 years before the movie takes place? Yeah. And um yeah so and the kid you never see it coming because again because then it's like oh shit what's gonna happen now. That, you know, now Dick, their their only hope is Dick Halloran. Well, also because dead. like Shelley or Wendy was like trapped in this bathroom, like Jack. So the whole big moment of this movie when he finally is trying to go kill them is when they run into the, their room, lock themselves in the bathroom. She lets Danny get out through the window, but she can't. So now Jack comes swinging with this axe. And then, then you get the poster for the movie after. Then he goes, yeah. here's Johnny, you know. and Which was an improvised line. And and you yeah. know what's actually so this is another little trivia tidbit. When they first were making the that scene, um they made breakaway doors because they wanted to make it easier. Yeah. And he was actually a trained fire marshal. So he was or a firefighter. Like Who, he had Nicholson? Jack Nicholson. Oh, no shit. Sure. And know. so he was breaking these doors down no problem. Yeah. So they had to just oh, give him a real door. Fast. Like, yeah. like so he just They also uh the, the the camera moves with the axe, which is amazing. Something that you don't, you don't, it's, it's disorienting and you don't notice right away why it's disorienting. It's because the camera is shifting back and forth. So I'll put it to you this way it sucks that Dick Halloran dies, but he saves them in many ways because him pulling up in the snowcat distracts Jack and makes him leave the room so that Wendy can finally leave the bathroom and go try to find Danny. Which you again. also don't see. You don't see Wendy. No, you do see Wendy leave the room. You see her she leave picks the bathroom. Up the, she she, she picks, up the picks up the knife, knife and she it, leaves yeah. the room. And yeah. then oh, she's, now that. she's looking yeah. for Danny because Danny had ran into the kitchen. Then he runs outside. But as Danny's running around, then Dick Halloran comes in. Jack swings at him with the axe, kills him in one blow, and then um, then Danny runs out. Oh, Jack, he's hiding in like the kitchen yeah, cupboard. He, he's like, yeah, oh, he, he's right. hiding in that little like metal. And Danny cupboard. screams, scares the Danny shit screams out of him. Yes. without looking and seeing because Dan- he's Danny shining to 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 what's his name? Dick Halloran. To Dick Halloran. Oh, he screams before he gets killed. Yes, right before. Yes, he gets yes. Killed. Yeah. and that's and how Jack knows he's in there. And, and then he gets out. So this movie's so good. And then he runs, and then Jack follows him, and then Wendy sees 
Dick Halloran dead on the floor. So then Danny runs into the maze. So a big part of this movie we never mentioned is they have this huge yeah. hedge mage. <laughs> major, <laughs> maze. major plot point we haven't mentioned. Uh, they have this huge – I can't even speak – this huge maze made out of like bushes and Topiary. stuff. Topiary. Well, no, that's, not to- well, no, Topiary no, that's the book. In the book, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but and it's this like thirteen foot tall maze, and very big. Um, there's a lot of technical things I can get into just about this thing because of how they made it and everything. But um, in the beginning of the movie, you see like Danny and Wendy walking around in it, and now this is the thing that Jack finally is chasing Danny through. And Danny's a smart little kid though, because like it's snowing and everything, and the way he finally beats Jack is by. Going over his footsteps and then hiding in a because different background. Jack is basically, and Jack's hurt at this point. Shelly has oh, stabbed Jack no. a number of times. So, no, first what happens is she hits him with a baseball bat, yep, hits his right. hand, and then she hits him in the head. He falls downstairs and he yep. hurts his foot. Yeah. So then she eventually locks him. She drags him away, locks him into that cupboard. Um, then in the, meat, in the meat locker. Yeah. No, this was the dry foods. The dry foods. Oh, and the dry this foods. This was yeah, the dry yeah, yeah, foods, yeah. which is funny because I also I, – I know it's not that long ago. I mean it's 39 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, but I guess this is going to sound weird, but as a 23-year-old, I never realized that Oreos and Frosted Flakes were around back then. It does seem weird, it, right? Like, it, it seems like a oh, 90s thing. No, come on. Like, well, again, I mean – Frosted again, Flakes have got – I think Frosted Flakes would be like one of the original cereals. Well, I just can't imagine uh, Tony the Tiger from 1980, you know? like I, I can. <laughs> I lived it. He was you born know, in the seventies. Well, I was so, born in seventy nine. So yeah, Fucking all right. So 70s. you were you were a year old when this movie came out. Yeah. Maybe not even. You know. And I so, saw it in the womb. No. Um, uh, and so, but I so that was, that was just. But he's in the dry foods locker, and like he's. This goes into like my favorite shot of the whole movie. Yeah, which is when he's speaking to Wendy through this this thick door that's holding in him in. She locks it, and there's just this beautiful shot where. In no other movie would you ever really see this. Is where you're looking up at yeah. Jack, and he's got this menacing face while he's like not really looking at her while he's speaking, but he is. Um, and it's but it's just from the floor looking directly up at him, like through his legs practically. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Kubrick couldn't figure out how to do it, and decided then to get on the floor and and like again on the, the fly to shoot shoot it that way. Well, that's yeah. how he shot all of his movies. Very very iconic. The very iconic shot of. Of Nicholson's head on the door, yes. pleading, kind of using that like going in and out, manipulative, of like, like honey. Well, because first he's like, just like let me out, and I'll, we'll forget this whole thing. But yeah. then he goes like, oh honey, my head hurts really bad, and then and then she's like, I have to leave, and he's like, oh, and then she's about to leave, and he's like, oh well, you're in store for some crazy shit now, yeah. you know. And, and like, we never find out how he gets out. You assume well, it's a ghost. You assume it's a ghost. And because, again, I think the hotel well, is alive. It is you know? Grady's voice it's that Grady's, lets him out. Well, yes. that is speaking to yes, him through it the is thing. Because they're like, we're disappointed in you, Jack. We, which we is saw- so spooky. We are disappointed in you. The hotel. Ooh. It's the hotel, so, man. But what I'm, this kind of goes with like Kubrick mm-hmm. and me, myself as a filmmaker. He's one of the people I look up to the most because I – the reason why is because I find a lot of different parallels with him and me. I, I, I'm perfectionist as nature as well, and I think part of that is what makes my projects come so slowly, like his did. You know, he he, from Full Metal Jacket to Eyes Wide Shut was like 14 years. You know, like yeah. And so, and then he never made Napoleon because he could never just get it together. Well, he, you know, he had wanted to make uh, an AI movie, and well, that's, Spielberg that too. did it. Oh, no, no, he so, so he died. Before Stanley he Kubrick figure- was going to do it, but he realized like. Uh, he had talked to Spielberg about it and everything like that. And so once he died, Spielberg was the one that 
took it over and like felt like he was the one that should. Which is part of the reason why there's conspiracy that Spielberg killed Kubrick. Uh, I had no idea about well, that. And also, but... and also, what? So he Kubrick uh, was researching a, a Holocaust movie, and in, yes, and in, he said it in the time that he was doing research, then they Spielberg made Schindler's, made Schindler's List, List and, he's, and so he had to abandon that project. Um, too. What's interesting is just a little factoid: uh, Steven Spiel- Spielberg turned down to be the director of the Harry Potter series to do AI, so he really wanted to pursue. AI. I mean, I think because it was like a, it was like a, maybe it was a gift of like, well, maybe it was a rite of passage. Yeah, I was you know? gonna say maybe like, that's because of Kubrick's. I like, I like nudging. They were friends. Yeah. They yeah. were. They were. They was like almost a mentor. You know, right? Like, and I believe that's why he, you know, really wanted to make the movie because you know, I like down. like middle period sci fi Steven Spielberg. I love Minority Reports. One of my favorite movies. Oh, of all it's time. great. Yeah. AI is great, and and War of the Worlds is like a very enjoyable, like fun I, I, movie for what it is. I never saw the original, but I do agree. I, I, my favorite part of that movie is when Tim Robbins shows up, and I don't even, like, yeah, I don't even remember. It's that. when they're in this house, like he's protecting them, and like they're in this like down rugged yeah. house and everything, and it turns out Tim Robbins is just like this psychopath, like, and he's about to try to kill Tom Cruise and his kid, and then oh, Tom yeah. Cruise has to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then, like you have Dakota yeah. Fanning, like watching this as it happens. Like, I, I love the War of the Worlds too. I think I don't know why it got like a bad rep, kind of. But I, 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 I like it's not even as a bad rep. It's just like it's considered like minor Spielberg. I think I it's think also because like Tom Cruise is in it, and then it's like I, I love Tom Cruise. I love you know, but it, I don't know. But um, dude, Minority Report. If you got, like, that's a movie that w- in twenty years people will be like, oh, dude, that movie is fucking. Wild. Oh, it's brilliant. It, 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 it's yeah. a great movie. I. You know, I, I, I had a whole phase, you know, once, I mean, I guess growing up, everybody, like, you, you just believe everything everybody says. So then, like, my phase of life was like, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise is a nut job, you know, and he's a Scientologist Love and everything, you know. And so, but then, so, like, then I'm thinking, oh, I don't like Tom Cruise. I'm not going to watch his movies. And then I watched Minority Report, and I'm like, wow, this movie was fucking fantastic, you know. And, I, like, and, then, I, and then I also watch all the Mission Impossible movies again, and I'm like, wow, you know what? Fuck that. I, I mean, yeah. like, whatever he uh, believes, dude. he might be insane, but he's a sure, fucking good he's actor. He's a fantastic you know? actor. Or at least a good action star, assume for sure. Every, you know? like, he's, assume, still, he's a great actor. Assume every artist is a bad person. Like, what, 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 this, like, I don't, I don't like, understand these people that can't separate the art from the artist. Dude, I really don't Picasso understand Picasso was a garbage human being. Sure. And he made great paintings. Yeah, so many. Kubrick was kind of an asshole to all his actors. And yeah. he made great movies, and that's fine. I think just I the difference get... is that once you start actually hurting people, then it's like that's where it's yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure, but you could still say it's a good movie that he made. Yeah. But there's these people that, like, with these, especially with comedians, it, like, people that hate <laughs> Louie. People that hate Louie well, now. Why would you talk about comedians? I, uh, see, we haven't, actually, my which favorite, is great. My favorite is when they... You gotta like, admit, Louis. They're like, I never great. thought they were right. funny. Right, they go, oh, I never, you know, I always knew. This it's is, like, fuck you, This dude. is so, like, I have to go back and I'll be 100% that I, I'm getting this exactly right, but I was listening to Louis. like, Louis did Fresh Air with Terry Gross, like, fucking NPR, blah, blah, blah. And she was, like, fawning over him, and I'm pretty sure... She played the clip where he talks about being a pervert, and he's like, he's like, women get to visit perversion. I have to live there. Like they're they're Jane Fonda on the tank. I'm John McCain. Yeah, and, and like, it, well, I love, yeah, you get you amazing, get to vacation in perversion, and men are prisoners of it, which like, is which an is amazing a brilliant, bit. Yeah, but Terry so Terry Gross, as she's fawning on Louis, never thought to ask him, well, what exactly is the perversion that you're speaking about? Yeah. because at that time he's on top of the world, and everybody loves him, and all the all I the mean, right people love his work. Yeah, I mean, look you can't deny that louis ended up being 
pretty much his com- the comedian of his generation. Yes. You know, like he, he became So to pretend that he was never great because now you want to shit on him is I that I fucking but hate. But that but my I, point is is just separate the art because because first of all, my opinion is he's gotten way more flack than he deserves and what he did was wrong, but I th- but that's my opinion. So if you have an opinion where you think he's a terrible person and he doesn't deserve anything, you st- to not admit that his comedy was great, now you're lying. Well, now your point now your perspective is – I, I have less faith well, in your it's like, perspective. It's like Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson You're not being Mel, honest. Mel Gibson – if you watch Apocalypto yeah. and tell me the guy is, is not a fucking genius. And there's, there's a there's – a, But then you watch Passion of the Christ and you realize you know, yeah. like he is kind, he of, is kind uh, of a, a racist uh, – yeah. <laughs> I, I actually can't watch that because I don't, I don't like to see people suffering. I think movies. it was the single worst movie I've ever seen I in my can't, entire life. I can't bring myself to watch it. Mel I, Gibson is a weird example. I kind of agree with you, but also I could see him being like – you, 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 he's not so great that you can't like see some of his personality. Well, you know the movie. funny thing oh, is, though, I've seen I him like also say, I've, I've seen him also say like because like one of those Facebook videos of like the people like lashing back at like their interviews or whatever. But it's like somebody brings it up and he's like, "Oh come on, man, that was so long ago." But honestly, I mean, you probably are still thinking it, you know. Yeah. And so well, like, was, like when so- you make a whole movie that kind of. Pretty portray, much portrays Jews in a Well, no, also way. just explains what you're thinking about a people, you know? Yeah. Like, they're, 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 George Miller, they interviewed a couple years ago when the, the newest Mad Max came out, and he, they, he, they asked him about Mel Gibson, and he said, he goes, he goes, we don't understand what it is about a person that makes them brilliant and talented and then also makes them, you know, have all these dark, these dark sides to them. And, they, and he goes, Mel is, is that person. Mel is brilliant. Mel is amazing. But Mel has all this darkness yes. to him too. And we, to pretend that you understand that 100% is not, is not true. So, all right, kind of bringing this back to Kubrick though, the difference I think among him and everybody else is that his perversion, his darkness is his art. Yeah, his the way he creates his art is by using these methods of not being the greatest person to some people sometimes, and like I mean, I think he was also just a very one track minded kind of guy because like whenever he made a movie, he would never speak to these actors ever again. He'd probably be you know, considered Asperger now, maybe or now, you know, some kind of autistic. But he also but, like I mean, Eyes Wide Shut is is a perverted movie about how terrible it is to be unfaithful to your wife. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a movie about how infidelity and obsession with sex actually makes you go crazy. And while you're watching, it, it's a movie about hookers, like and and there's all this like sex in it. But it's really about like it's like how terrible and crazy it is to Meanwhile, like. Meanwhile, he never actually did anything wrong. Yeah, he, but he was also <laughs> but like you know Kubrick was also like living quietly with his wife and daughters. Yeah. You know what I mean? He wasn't he wasn't doing yeah. and and that's and that's the that's like the ultimate like. Oh, the the guy is actually it's like David Lynch. Like David Lynch is like such a like dork, but he's just like a, such a regular guy. But his imagination is is so incredible. Yeah. And Kubrick too. Like Kubrick was quietly living as his estate in London while people were ma- imagining all these dark, crazy things yeah. that Stanley Kubrick he, was doing. He liked to play chess and he liked to make movies. So and he spent all of his time doing both. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. All of his time. Whereas Nicholson <laughs> is doing all the crazy shit that you imagine. That well, Nicholson, I mean, well, he was doing all the drugs and everything. Uh, and dude, like, 
Like that's do you if you want to like doing doing being a movie star right, Nicholson like seventies Nicholson because yeah. I mean because he dude he paid his dues for like fifteen years. Unfortunately, it all caught up to him now. You know, oh like yeah, it's, you know, he's well, got dementia. And but well, he's, he, I mean, you know he's in his fucking what? How old he's is he? In his eighties. Yeah, yeah mid eighties. Old. Dude. Yeah, but like you you also have eighty year old actors or people in general that kind yeah. of age. Yeah, very, you do, like, but you also have like my nono is in his eighties. He's not an alcoholic. Never. No, tore, I, know, I know. And he's got dementia because he's in his eighties. Yeah. No, I know. And Nicholson like. I, I actually went back. His I thought fir- celebrities couldn't get like unhealthy. His though. first it does movie, seem weird, right? His first, his first, uh, Nicholas's first movie Who did he is, is uh, the Terror, which was a Roger Corman like schlocky horror movie, and he's bad in it. And he's bad in it because he's too young for his face, and he's too it's too over the top. Like mid- like Nicholson had to be forty seven years old to be great. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Yeah, like he's one of those guys. He like grew into his face. He, you, you want him to be the guy who's kind of put upon and like just kind of lashing out at life, and he's got the wife that's fucking on his balls, and like can't get get mm-hmm. can't make shit work out. And he's, he, I mean, again, like and Chinatown too. It's like he's a detective. He should have been a cop, or he was a cop, and he got kicked out. Of the, and life just kind of has been kicking his ass. But he's also smarter than everybody else, which makes him more bitter and more cynical because he knows that it's just that the system is stacked against him. He's so great at that. Also, like one of my like underrated as a style icon, like I would wear I would wear all of the clothes that Jack Nicholson wears in Chinatown, which is all suits from the forties, and I would wear all the clothes that he wears in The Shining. Me like too. That fucking. I wouldn't wear anything Danny wore though. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Danny wears has the I wouldn't, worst. I wouldn't dress my kids. Shelly Shelly looks awful. Everyone too. else in this yeah. movie is dressed like shit. He's, Dick, no, not everyone. Yeah, Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran can't he's, help it. I mean, he's guy, he's just, just fly though. You know, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just. But I no, I would wear everything he wore. You know, I like especially his ending outfit where he's like in that jacket, like that, that yeah. like red. Oh, that jacket red. Sweater I look. You can't find that thing. I think it was specially made for the movie. I, I tried um, to find. You know, what's actually funny though. So. In again behind the scenes, somebody was saying how, and I think even Jack Nicholson was the one that was saying this. Um, with with um, Kubrick, like he didn't want like to create these things. Like so, when when they were designing the Overlook, he sent people all over the country, all over the world, to go to hotels and pick, take pictures of these rooms. And the way he picked what he wanted in the hotel was just, I want that room, I want that room, and I want that room. And so he didn't want to create this new thing because he knew that the way that uh, I think it was Jack Nicholson putting it, he was saying that. Somebody else already made this thing. I'm not going to make a better version of this yeah. just for this movie, so I'm just going to use that, you know, yeah. and then use that for this. And so it's the same thing for the outfits. He didn't have these things custom created. He just took these outfits that people were wearing. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. I don't know. But, like, I have a feeling it might I not oft- have been. I often, while I'm watching a movie, go, I want that jacket. And then I Google, and I can never get the fucking jacket I want. I mean, how do you get movie costumes as real clothes anyway you well know? they all like, but they, like it's always like a, some knockoff on ebay for like i'm like there's i i don't believe that 30 dollars for 30 dollars i'm gonna get a good quality like jacket. like like we know somebody joey he has the actual pants that james franco wears in uh pineapple express what? like like not the same berry pants but same design the but brand, like yeah. not, but not knockoff not anything yeah they're the real legit pants i don't know how he did it but that's odd yeah. That's a very Joe Rinaldi movie. It is. It is. Um, I love the fact that we didn't talk about Room 237 or The Woman in the Tub at all because I don't have anything to say. <laughs> the one thing about that is she's very hot. In, the, well, the first one. For a yeah. second. Very long. 
like a long, a long lady, long torso, a long lady, like boob, like the the, the distance between, there, the chin to boob length. <laughs> it's big. The ratio it's a is long very length. far. She's got a which tall is, which is oddly, neck. I think that's eerie. why he was. I think that's why he was so excited. You know, there's a lot of this woman that that he's not getting from his wife. You know, like hundred <laughs> percent. I think Kubrick was like, find me a hot chick, but that looks like an alien too. A little bit. She was a very. She did. Was, she did have kind of weird Mark, celestial. Her performance. It's thirty seconds long, but you know. Before she turns into whatever this old she, yeah, decrepit, yeah, flesh mangled lady, yeah. she is great in it. She's kind of creepy as she comes out of the shower, but yeah. she like accepts it and everything. And I think they use her in that room two thirty seven as like the shinings, the the hotel's way of alluring Jack Torrance into the oh, in, into yeah. into their plan. Another, it's Kubrick, kind of like if he kisses her, he's in. Another you know? great bathroom. Kubrick likes a good bathroom and so there's two great bathrooms in this there's a great red bathroom and there's a great green True. bathroom in this movie um and, and great kitchens too like that's i mean that stuff's underrated filming and, i mean look if you're a hotel and you have a kitchen you need a good kitchen though yeah, yeah. If especially, especially if you got 87 racks of whatever the fuck he says. well also if you're in the mountains you need enough space to not get a shipment every two weeks you know <laughs> yeah, yeah you gotta, you gotta <laughs> yeah. stock up literally stock up for the winter mm. um, you, you know it's another quick funny thing that i so I didn't see The Shining until I was probably 18 or something like that, like college age, which is probably good. I, I think it's a little scary to see if, if I was like 10 or something. But um, I had no idea. This 30 Seconds to Mars music video, uh, it was a very popular video when I was like probably like 12 or 13. I can't remember the name of the song. It's actually, I think it's called The Killing or something. It's a really good song. Anyway, in the video, it's it, it, they're in a hotel they're at a mat. They're at a party, like a like, kind of like the Shining party. And there's this cut scene in the movie, in the music video, where uh, Jared Leto, who's the lead singer of the band, is throwing the tennis ball against the wall in this giant room. Yeah. And it's like it's and the song just cuts, and it's just this big echoey room, and him throwing a tennis ball and him catching it. And for years, I was like, "That's a strange music video. What the hell are they trying to say?" Yeah. And then I watched the Shining. I'm like, "Oh, it's just like." A recreation of The Shining in three minutes and thirty seconds, which I had no idea. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. So that's just an interesting thing that I was introduced to a stupid music video before it's like, the actual film. I I know all the theories, and I have no theories on this movie. Is that weird? Like I like, I like I don't. I watch this movie and I enjoy the shit out of it, and I don't spend a minute thinking about what does it mean. Like what does it all I, mean? I'm actually I I like the ambiguity, and I, I'm somebody who takes like when I'm in a story, I I take it as it is. Like my my lady, one of the problems I have with watching movies with her, is she she solves the movie. Like I, she, I hate that. So yeah. she's watch. We're watching. Termi- Wait, who's that guy? Why is he back? It's so like, she's shut watch- up. And she's watch. watching. She's watching Terminator with me for the first time, and she goes, "Oh, I get it. He's gonna be the dad. Like they're gonna have sex, and then he's gonna be the dad." And I literally forget it every time I fucking watch the movie. Like it, for me, it's so like I I just want to be along for the ride that I don't want to solve the movie. And so I literally have spent no time one where I'll I'll listen to every conspiracy theory about this movie, and I don't care about any of them, and I just enjoy being in this movie for two hours. And I think that's something that just comes inherently with a Kubrick movie because like I try to do the same thing, especially for when I'm trying to study a movie or whatever, when I watch any movie first, I want to not have any like preconceived notion of anything. I don't even like having an opinion. I like to watch one trailer and that's it. 
Yeah. You know, and then when somebody even if somebody tells me the movie was good, I almost don't even like hearing that because yeah. I just want to like let me get it because it shapes your opinion. You know, yeah. and so but with with Kubrick movies, his movies are all about the ride because I feel like almost there's there hasn't there's very few of them where you end on this note of you know exactly what's happening anyway. No, you know, They're all ambiguous. There's all. And, there's, and so, you know, it's 2001, you know, like you go on an acid trip for about 25 oh, minutes, yeah, you know, yeah. the and, then you're, that and then you're like, just like, what the fuck happened? You it's know? amazing. And yeah. it's amazing. And, and you can assign it's because art should be ambiguous. It, like you shouldn't you shouldn't be hit over the head with the meaning. That's the same reason I love the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers, they're very ambiguous films. And you go back to them and you like people argue that they're complete cynical nihilists or the exact opposite of that. And, Although, I, and I love that about their artwork. I love No Country for Old Men, but I do kind of wish that Josh Brolin didn't just die off oh, camera course. and everything. Dude, and, then, think, and then it ends on, on, on Tommy Lee Jones I think talking. It's, well, like, I think it's the greatest uh, movie of the last 20 years. And I think what people don't get is the reason that it ends on Tommy Lee Jones talking is because he is the protagonist of the film, not Josh Brolin. Maybe. And that's, oh, that's an argument for another, another but, um, day. Uh, but yeah, so, so I, I think we're... Yeah. Usually, usually when we're like when me and the guests are in this much like harmony, it makes for a boring episode because all we're doing is sh- stroking the movie. But I think this was a no. This was good. I think th- I, I think it's a testament to The Shining that if you talk about The Shining, it's usually pretty interesting. After after like documentaries and YouTube videos, there's still interesting. There's still interesting stuff to talk about in this movie. Just one last thing, like what I think draws me the most into this movie, and like I mean, I realize it every now and again, but. Again, going back to Kubrick's like perfection and just thinking out every part of this, even from the beginning, the way he shoots it, again, going back to Garrett Brown doing everything on the Steadicam kind of thing, the whole overlook is set up as a maze. They have a maze in the outside, but they the whole thing is a maze. The whole thing doesn't even make sense in how it's built because there are rooms that shouldn't be there. There are doors that lead to nothing. In the very opening of the movie, Jack Nicholson walks from the outside and he goes to the center of the building. And in the manager's office, there's, there's a, window, a window to the outside. You know? yeah. And so, so everything's confusing. This movie is trying to throw you off from the very beginning. And even as you're walking through these mazes, you start getting disoriented. You start like getting almost dizzy from like walking around. You see all these things, but you don't really understand what you're seeing. But then when they do it again with like Danny on his little trike, you know, and then you again, it's the same kind of disorienting feel. It's gliding through this whole thing. But that's exactly the ride you're trying to. He's literally taking you on this ride of this tricycle through this hotel to totally fuck with you for the entirety of this movie. Yeah. And and that's what brings me in every time, you know. I mean, and and like, I'm not gonna say that every single performance from every single person in this movie is perfect, you know. Like, no. like even like in the opening interview, like when he's in the manager's office, that other dude that walks in, like every line that comes out of his mouth is the most like yeah, yeah. like <laughs> square version I of love, saying it. I you love know? that like, guy though because I think it's it's all so mundane. I, I think yeah. it's supposed to be, but he does kind of blow it. Yeah, like, he's totally <laughs> like, yeah. like, like like even the doctor was a better actress yes. than this guy, and she yeah. wasn't that great either there's you know? a, like <laughs> there's a great actors roundtable a couple years ago and robert duvall was there and he's like he's like ah, fuck you know it's a terrible movie that he goes the shining he goes all oh, that the acting in that movie is terrible and then all the other actors are kind of like they're like giggling because they can't believe they're like here's this like crotchety old guy yeah. 
And but I love Duvall. And it, like in a way, I can kind of see his point. His point is that he wouldn't want to work with a director that makes an actor do eighty takes yeah. and breaks them down and is manipulating the performance that much. It's funny that you say that because Scatman Crothers, right after this movie, he was in a Clint Eastwood movie. I forgot which one. And oh. um, and he was so you go from Kubrick, who's known for doing a hundred takes yeah. or something, which with Crothers he did. To Clint Eastwood, who tries to only do one take, and then he like broke down crying on this on Eastwood set, saying "Thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you for not doing this to me." You wow. know, like, and so, but I mean, overall, it's a great movie. Oh. You know, it's and I, I, it's funny for this movie. I, I never really got to like talk about why it was always like so great for me, but it the reason why is because I don't know. It was just one of those movies that I could just throw on. You know, yeah. it was never like I there I have to sometimes think about watching movies like what do I want to watch right yeah. now? The Shining for some reason, once I had it on DVD, I just watched it like since I got it, I don't know, I probably got it when I was like 14, 15. I I see it at least 2 to 3 times a year now, you know? Like Yeah, yeah I see it, I saw it at Holly Zeke's house with her family. We were just like hanging out and they threw it on. I'd never seen I didn't again, I don't know anything about it. She's like, "Oh, there's this movie that we should watch." And it's it stayed with me. You know, twenty five years, and and again, didn't know who Kubrick was, didn't have any experience going in, went in cold, and it's just one of those movies that like kids will always eventually get to. It will, it's it's a much like the Overlook Hotel. It's a timeless fucking movie, and it's yeah. and it's putting itself. I mean, it's funny because I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but it's one of these movies that. I don't think I've seen too many shows actually parody it, aside from like South Park's episode with yeah. the blockbuster thing. I mean, The Simpsons has done like one of the Halloweens. I'm sure. Maybe. The, the sh- oh my god! Actually, one of the greatest parodies ever is Groundskeeper Willie doing the Shinnin. Okay, I'm not so a huge Simpsons fan. Fucking funny! Oh, dude, it's amazing. I like though, like especially like did you see Ready Player One? They have this whole important piece from the, for the movie. I won't did see you, it. Did you, I Dean, seen Dean's it. trying to make me watch well, it. And I won't. Yeah, well, Dean's either. doing that thing where he tries to make you watch it and then you don't want to watch it because he just keeps because he's always it. talking about it. Well, yeah. whether or not you want to see it, I do think it's a pretty solid movie. Oh, you know, I think it. I mean, you know. It's, you can't usually go wrong with Spielberg. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I'll, I'll download it. And um, and so like uh, then, but a big part of this movie ends up being The Shining and what's going on and part of the history and everything yeah. like that. Oh. And they even recreate certain parts of this movie. And now you have Doctor Sleep coming out, which is probably. I mean, eh, no I'm interest. not excited about it mainly because Stephen King probably approves of it. And um, I just <laughs> there's there's certain things that like I'm done with. Like I'm done with the diehards. I'm done with Star- like. Well, I, I don't need a sequel for this. I just need. Yeah. I just need the. Shining. I know I the book else. exists. I know like sure. Stephen King did that and everything. But yeah. for me, The Shining is this movie. Yes. I don't even want to read the book no. now. If anybody's listening, though, the Dick Halloran prequel is the way to go. I yes. think so as well. Yes. That would be I would watch that. You know what? Amazing. All right. Uh, uh, let's let's get a <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? I, I know the, some producers. The let's, young uh, the young. Uh, Dick Halloran using The Shining to pick up chicks. Oh, How fucking incredible that would be! be it doesn't even have to. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a horror movie. It's it should just, be like a. 70s, he's just in Miami. <laughs> it should be a seventies exploitation film. Both of those pictures in his in his room were just wives that he had. You yeah, know, like. yeah. He 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 shined all over them. Uh, this has been great, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have anything you want to plug while you're here? Uh, right now, you know, I mean, I do have a YouTube channel that I co-run with Joey Rinaldi and two others, Kevin Mezik and Noah Kern. Uh, right now we are on a small hiatus, uh, which turned into a little bit longer hiatus, but we're going to be back soon. So Dirty Laundry, check it out on YouTube. Look up Dirty Laundry videos or also get Carrie Underwood. 
Um, I'm also a freelance videographer, filmmaker. If you need it videoed, I'll do it. Yeah, Lewis uh, has shot a number of uh, uh, times at our, at our comedy shows, at me and Dean's comedy show. I mean, if you ever need uh, someone to just document an event that you're doing, it's pretty pretty. Amazing I mean, flawless I've, stuff. Yeah. I've yeah. done all the promos for their shows. Yeah. I've done promos for other people's shows. I do everything, but I'm also a filmmaker. I direct, I write, I act, I edit, I do yeah. – I'm a d- cinematographer, so – I do all that. And, He's very uh, talented. You're also doing that thing with Dean now with the Under the Sheets. Under, so Dean David, he has a new web series podcast himself. You know, It's and shot beautifully. Three cameras he has set up. It I looks, just did it. It looks like uh, in the Royal Tenenbaums when they're in the tent. That's well, what thank it, you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's shot perfectly. Uh, I, pers- I mean, I think Wes Anderson has good shots. I don't like his style per no. se. but uh, <laughs> see, I'm, a, I'm an early Wes Anderson guy. I it, Well... I don't want to go into West. Yeah, yeah I mean, so no, that's another thing. But, <laughs> but yeah, thank you again, guys. Of course, um, yeah, for sure. Come back anytime. We'll we'll do another cool movie. I think we. I think with Lewis, if, we have to do like something really great. If you're like willing to redo Roger Rabbit, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> He's so bitter. We'll about just that. we'll just erase that episode. Like let's, it never do, happened. Uh, let's do let's do ET next time. Oh, I would, oh, I would love to do ET. I, uh, I you're gonna hate me. I've never, I never it, seen ET. I watched it for the first time in like 15 years, a little while ago, and I it was the most moving cinematic really experience i've ever i was i gotta see it i was i like i cried my way through this entire movie i haven't Tears seen of it in forever joy yeah. sadness empathy it's the it was i think it might like be just from that one viewing experience one of my favorite movies of all time now so yeah peter uh what uh i just well i just did you the just did your show how'd it show go? it went great uh it uh did 45 minutes i was supposed to do 45 minutes the night before which was going to be like my dry run and that show got canceled oh fuck so i went in real cold and rusty uh but i pushed through it felt really good it went really well and they booked me again for january nice so i'll be promoting that one we're gonna keep doing like maybe every other month we'll do a show there uh i'll be doing crystal comedy with ed mcgowan and scotty lavelle that's a great show i've never yeah i've never been to that either that's this coming sunday in williamsburg i just posted on instagram Mm. and then i'll be in allentown the following weekend uh again emceeing the 22nd and 23rd um so i uh i will be so i don't have any like real solid dates going on right now but i i do have a lot of things in the works uh the new old man hustle just opened up in brooklyn and i've been talking i i'm going to be on a bunch of shows there and at the old old man hustle as well where in brooklyn is it uh, I was just there. It's in bed bedside. Or, is it a bigger bar than? Yeah, the other bar? no, it's like a comedy room. Like oh, wow. it's it's nice. I was there at their opener. They had like an opening house open house party yesterday. Um, it's really really nice. Um, gonna be there. Um, I have a couple of AC dates that I'm uh, that haven't been solidified yet. But just check my Instagram out, Alex Pashera. That's where I post everything. Um, yeah, I'm probably forgetting something. Yeah, but. I don't know. We'll oh, my that. friend Tom McCaffrey's album just came out today. Go, oh, go, go, I do a podcast with him. Go download it. It's Tom McCaffrey, M-C-C-A-F-F-R-E-Y. It's very funny. I, I forgot to mention, if you want to get in contact with me about freelance work, yes. I, uh, you can look me up on Facebook, Lewis Kent, or my email K-E-N-T. is... K-E-N-T. So L-O-U-I-S-K-E-N-T. Mm-hmm. Um, my nickname on it is uh, The Russian Bear. Mm. And um, yeah. or my my email is lkent937 at gmail.com gotta fix that email yeah <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fix make it your name man I, I think I tried and it was you can't taken. do Kent. I'll, I'll try I'll, I have to yeah. say it again just so the people know lkent937 at gmail.com alright I All think right. that's it we're just gonna go back to the Overlook Hotel see you guys cool. next time